I've told you all before that when I went off to college uh, long ago, uh, that I didn't start as a religious studies major, but I became a religious studies major. And uh, so one of the first classes I took, because, you know, hey, I had, I thought it was going to be in, you know, one of those easy A type classes. I'd grown up in Sunday school, and so I knew the Bible. I was sure I could speak it aloud. I'd answered all the right questions and been able to be correct all the time in Sunday school class. Uh, had a great memory for that, so I took Introduction to New Testament. And let me just tell you, uh, that was an eye-opening and uh, challenging class for me. Uh, in fact, I, I think I've told you, uh, I had Professor Gamble, uh, who taught that class for me in my second year at UVA, and when he was teaching the class, his first name was Harry, and for me, he became Harry the Heretic. Because what he taught uh, was a truth I was unwilling to hear. He, talk, he talked about the historical context in which the biblical, uh, the biblical text was written. And he talked about what the driving force between each of the gospel writers might have been. And he talked about each one of them being the source of the other and where they gathered all their material. And the fact that this wasn't written, that the, the New Testament itself was not, didn't even begin to be written until at least 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so the way it was written was... Uh, was not the way that a reporter writes, but more a sharer. And, and all he had to do was be saying all those kinds of things for my ears to just go, la, 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 except I knew I had to listen so I could pass his class. And not just pass his class, because I had convinced myself since I was a, a Sunday school straight-A student, you don't get grades in Sunday school, by the way, but uh, since I thought I could be a straight-A student, I was pretty convinced that I needed to, for my own well-being and egoic uh, concerns, I needed to get an A in that class. So I listened, but I suspended everything he taught way over here, like in some little cloud. If you were watching me as a cartoon me, there was a cloud over here that was sort of disconnected, floating off. So I could read the cloud and regurgitate the cloud but I didn't believe anything in that cloud. Well, you could fast forward a couple of years when I came to believe that what Professor Gamble, Mr. Gamble said to us was absolutely true. But it wasn't what I wanted to hear when I was an undergraduate at 19 years old because it pushed my boundaries. Today we're gonna to talk a little bit about truth. And um, we live in a world, uh, you know, Ken Wilber has called it a post-truth world, where whoever is the loudest one is the one we believe to be true. Uh, and if you say it enough times, and you can just ask, you know, there are Republican talking points and Democratic talking points, and if you, they figure if enough of them say it enough times, we will believe it. And oh, by the way, the only ones who are listening to them, by the way, are the ones who already believe whatever they say anyway, because we have siloed our lives. And we're going to find out this isn't new. 
We're going to read a little portion of Jeremiah today, uh, and we're going to be looking uh, in the 36th chapter of uh, the prophet Jeremiah. And uh, I'm going to read portions of it to you. I'm not going to read the whole thing because a lot of it is lists of names about who was in a meeting and what they were and whose son they were and whose son of whose son of whose son they were. And that's more information than is going to be helpful to us. Even though it may be true, we didn't need that to hear the story. Beginning with the first verse of chapter 36. In the fourth year of King Jehoiakim, uh, son of Josiah of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. It may be that when the house of Judah hears of all the disasters I intend to do to them, all of them may turn from their evil ways so that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at Jeremiah's dictation all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Baruch, saying, I am prevented from entering the house of the Lord. So you go yourself, and on the fast day in the hearing of the people in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the people of Judah who come up from their towns. It may be that their plea will come before the Lord and that all of them will turn from their evil ways. For great is the anger and wrath that the Lord has pronounced against this people. And Baruch, son of Neriah, did all that the prophet Jeremiah ordered him about the reading of the scroll and the words of the Lord in the house of the Lord. Then the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elishama and uh, the secretary. And Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. Now the king was sitting in his winter apartment. It was the ninth month. And there was a fire burning in the brazier before him. As Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a penknife and throw them in the fire in the brazier until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire and was in the brazier. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all the words was alarmed, nor did they tear their garments. And then in 32, Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to his secretary, Baruch, son of Neriah, who wrote, it, wrote on it Jeremiah's dictation all over again, the words that, uh, of the scroll that King Jehoiakim of Judah had burned in the fire. And many similar words were added to them. This is a word of the Lord for this morning. Thanks be to God. You know, this idea that uh, the truth is whatever you want it to be is uh, not new. It's not new at all. You know, most of the kings uh, that we hear about in Israel had a group of prophets. We'll call them prophets. The ones, we, we'll call them prophets we could put 
quotation marks around them, the prophets that said the things they wanted to hear. You know, the guys who would say, oh, that's a great plan, king. God's going to bless that. Whether God was going to bless it or not, it didn't matter. They had those kinds of prophets. And then they had some prophets like Jeremiah. Jeremiah, by this time in the, in the book of Jeremiah, has been banned from uh, reading or preaching in public because the king didn't like what he had to say. And quite frankly, neither did the religious leaders because they had a truth that they wanted to believe and they didn't want to hear any other possible truth. Now, one of the things I think that most of us have learned in our lives is just because you want to believe it doesn't make it true. If the doctor tells me I have some terrible disease and I don't want to believe it, I may still die from it because what I believe about it doesn't change the fact that I have it. But when we live in a world, and apparently it's a world that's 2,500 plus years old, that there's what I want to hear and there's what I don't want to hear but may be true. Kind of like what I had when I went into Professor Gamble's class and I had learned all of the simple stories, the biblical stories. I didn't want to pick them apart and question what might have been happening that caused Jesus to say X or Paul to say Y. I didn't want to ask those questions. I just wanted to hear it and believe what I wanted to believe about it. Don't even begin with when I took intro to the uh, Hebrew Bible and they began to tell me that that first chapter of Genesis was just a poem. <laughs> oh my goodness. But I don't think I ever thought that Kyle McCarter was a heretic. I think it's because I took Old Testament after I took New Testament. And by that time, I was kind of like, well, maybe these guys know something. After all, they have PhDs. You know, that doesn't really mean anything because you can say still anything you want to. Truth has got to be something more than what I want to hear or what I'd like to believe. And as we've all learned, just because I like or don't like it doesn't make it more or less true. It simply means I like it or I don't. You know, and in a world where everything is about likes, at least in one of the past and important uh, social medias in Facebook, it's all about likes. In fact, on all the social media, it's all about likes. You know, how many hearts can you get on Instagram uh, or any of them? How many likes? Because a like means I think that you're right. Or I think that you're cute. Or I think something. I agree with you. Uh, and, a, and I guess a thumbs down means no, you're wrong. You're wrong. I don't like that. I don't like that truth. We've got Photoshop so that if we don't like the truth of the way we look, we can, we can fix that. We can fix that. But we're still the same person we were before. And perhaps there are truths that you and I need to hear that are absolute, that are bigger than whether I like them or not, whether I even want to believe them or not. 
perhaps there is a truth that you and I need to hear and be challenged by. Now, we don't all have to be. Now, the problem is, I won't say all of you, but I will say I, and maybe many of us, are essentially Jehoiakim. You know, we're presented with a group of teachings or what may be truths, and if we don't like them, we cut them up and burn them one way or another, whether it's in a little literal fire or not. We are constantly seeking people to affirm what we already believe rather than trusting that when someone challenges us, it might be for our bettering. One of the challenges of being your pastor for 30 years, and it's not quite 30 years yet, I just begun my 30th year. So I'm in my 30th year of being the pastor here at St. James's. You, you start to trust me, and that's a good thing. I want you to trust me. But I also want you to discern when I say what I think on Sunday morning that as much as I'd like to think sometimes I am the mouthpiece of God, I sometimes get it wrong. And so you need to listen with a discerning ear to the truth I present and ask the question, is what James is saying really true? Now, I will tell you that for a lot of my clergy friends, the age of, of the Google is not a happy time because people can pull out. You say something in a sermon on Sunday morning. It used to be just people could just take it in. Now people can pull out their uh, iPhone or their Android, I have no necessarily, although I prefer one, I don't care what you have. Um, you can pull it right out and say, well, James said that they had these false prophets that used to work in the, I'm gonna check that out on the Google. Yeah. And you can, you can confirm whether I'm right or wrong. But deep in your heart of hearts, don't you know that for you there are those kinds of people you know when you want someone to pat you on the back and tell you that how wronged you've been, no matter how wrong you were, <laughs> how wrong it was that someone called you out for it, you know there's people in the world that you can call who will say, oh, that's just terrible. Oh, that's horrible. How could they call you out for something that you really did do and should have been called out for? How could they do that? That's just me. And then you also probably have those friends, unless you've gotten rid of all of them, that are gonna tell you the truth whether you wanna hear it or not. I've told people over time, and I don't know if you take this seriously or not, I don't ask Linda how I did on my message on Sunday morning unless I want to know. Girlfriend is not gonna to lie to me. In fact, she's not just my girlfriend anymore, she is my wife. And I've learned a lot about truth from Linda. Now, I don't always think she's right, <laughs> but she will not speak anything less than her impression of the truth to me. What I do with it is up to me. We live in a world that wants to tell you that the only truth that matters is the one that's your truth. And I think that we need to realize there's something bigger than just your truth and my truth. There might be the truth. Now we might not have access to the whole thing all at once. Let me say something. God is infinite. 
How many of you in the room, by rays of hands, are themselves infinite? How many of you are infinite, have infinite knowledge, infinite minds, infinite power? How many of you raise? Nope. Nope. No one's raising your hand. It is not possible for you to know the infinite truth in its entirety. But you can know pieces of it. For instance, I know, and this isn't something that I just think. This isn't just something I've read somewhere. I know that God is love. Now, I have read it somewhere. And for a long time, I thought it. But I realized I didn't know anything about God until I learned to love God. That knowing something only took me so far. So I would say an absolute truth for me, and I hope for you, is that God is love. And that if you read the lines of this story closely, the witnesses of people not only 2,000 years ago and older, but the witnesses of people that you might meet today, you might come to know for yourself the truth that God is love. But if you don't know that truth yet, in fact, if you want to reject that as a truth, that's all right for you right now. But know that whether you like it or not, I'm going to keep telling you Sunday after Sunday, unless something radically shakes me up, and I can't imagine that this is a shakable foundation truth for me, I'm going to keep telling you that God loves you unconditionally right where you are. Because that is a truth. And it's the kind of truth I think of as a capital T truth. Not just because I want to believe it, because, but because I know it's true. For me, it started to become true just how real it was. This was how long ago that it began. It, it wasn't very long in the 13 billion years the universe has been around. But it was pretty long ago for me. Right after 9-11 and, and then Desert Storm began, I remember when my nephew, who was a Marine, was deployed to Iran. Iraq, not Iran. We haven't gone there yet. Uh, to Iraq. And I came to realize one day when I was sitting in prayer in a way that shook me deeply that as much as God loved Justin, God loved Saddam Hussein just as much. Now, that was not a comfortable feeling for me because I loved Justin a lot and I didn't particularly care for that Saddam Hussein character. But God loved them both. As much as a different kind of reality, it's difficult for us to say. It's like when our children argue, if you have them, and I have two. If you just have one, you don't have to worry. If you have zero, you don't have to worry. But if you have two, they're constantly arguing about which one you love more. <laughs> Dad, it's clear to me you love Joshua more. Joshua would say, Dad, it's clear to me you love Hannah more. I love Hannah different. I love Joshua different. So I'm pretty sure that God loved uh, 
Justin, my nephew, different than he loves Saddam Hussein. I don't know exactly how, but different. But you couldn't quantify the difference. What other kinds of truths do we hold dear that maybe should be shaken from their foundation? What is real and what is false? What is it that we have come to believe and hold so dear that we won't let anyone touch? And yet maybe it's a little touchable. And maybe it's not even true. Now, I'm not asking you to live in a post-truth world where everything is totally relative. But we have to be careful about the truths we're willing to claim. And sometimes the church, and I'm talking St. James, I'm talking about the church universal, is willing to make claims on a truth that may or may not be true. So you have to be careful as you listen to me and to everyone else in this world to discern for yourself what is clearly the truth. Because there are truths. Now, I tend to believe science. But science would even, if they're really honest, tell you that this is their theory that works right now. But someday they may discover some new theory that's going to put everything in question. We were all about Newtonian physics until that guy named Einstein came along and we got relativity. And then we found out that really tiny things and maybe really big things act completely different than medium-sized things. Newtonian physics works in some instances, but, you know, quantum mechanics works in others. And they're different. And yet they're both true. This is messy, James. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. What the word healing means to one person is not the same thing as what it means to another. And these are things you have to be mindful of when you're speaking about it. We have come to think of healing as asking God to excise some broken part of us and fix it <laughs> or make it disappear. And while sometimes things disappear, get better, oftentimes what the biblical witness to what healing is, is different. It's about wholeness. It's about, it's about growth. It's truly salvation. The whole person can be whole, even if they still have cancer. And that's a challenge to the truth that we might hold as capital T that really is a small T. When I first came to St. James, we could only have a live Christmas tree at, uh, at Christmas time. Now, it wasn't alive. It was dead. It was cut down. <laughs> uh, so it was a dead tree that was going to be put out in the woods behind the old building. But we could only have, and it was a sacred truth, and when we, first got, when we first got an artificial tree, I thought I had committed the greatest sacrilege uh, known to humanity because the capital T truth at that time for some people was you could only have 
a cut, previously living pine tree. But it was really only a little t-truth, and even that wasn't even a truth. It was a preference. Truth for you and me has got to be more than a preference. So I want to invite you this week to do something, and maybe for the rest of your lives. But I'm only going to ask you to do it as an experiment this week. Look at the truths that you hold to be self-evident. Look at the truths you hold to be self-evident. Look at the ones that you held to be self-evident 30 years ago. If you're not that old, and some of you aren't, uh, you can't look back that far. Look back 10 years. Have things changed? Do you see the world differently? Has your world's perspective changed because the world, you understand it differently? Heck, did the pandemic change the way you understand how closely interrelated we are? And how challenging it is for us when you ask us to work from a distance and only see each other on computer screens. How challenging that is. How isolating that is. Do you see different truths maybe after the pandemic? And it's not after yet. <laughs> it's still during. But are you seeing things differently? Do you see them differently than you were in college? The things that you held to absolutely be true for certain, but now are really wasn't a truth. That's what I wanted to believe. I encourage you to do this this week as well. Watch a news channel that offends you. You know who those are. You know who those are. If you're more progressive, uh, you could try some Fox News. And maybe if you are really wanting to be challenged, some Newsmax. <laughs> If, on the other side, you tend to lean more conservative, watch MSNBC for a while. Watch how people can spin facts differently. And then ask yourself the question, but what are the real facts? What is true? Not what does this commentator or this commentator want me to believe about the truth, but what is the truth. Do you believe the truth that God loves you now, where you are, as you are, mistakes and all? Can you take that in? Because that's one truth I fall back to every single day, especially when I'm kicking myself because I'm not perfect. God never asked me to be. Perfect only in my imagination. And Plato, Jesus never asked you to be perfect, to be mature. Perfect love casts out fear. Mature love casts out fear. Those are the things. So ask yourself what you hold to be true and what really is true. And might those two be different? Might those two be different?